freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody welcome to episode number 218 of gun freedom radio where we engage we educate and we inform we are brought to you by azfirearms.com your nationwide hometown gun shop i am one of your hosts cheryl todd and i'm the other guy dan todd our show today is mentoring the next generation and our guest today is Serena Juknowski. Serena is a competitive shooter, hunter, and outdoor writer and photographer from Richfield, Ohio. Absolutely. Serena started shooting when she was in eighth grade and started competing in high power service rifle in 2015. Since that time, she has dedicated herself to pursuing a career in the outdoor industry and to introducing and mentoring people into the outdoors. Welcome to the show, Serena. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This is wonderful. We got to meet each other at the 2020 SHOT Show in Las Vegas. And uh, it's been, we're sitting in the studio now in um, <clears throat> June. So it took me a while <laughs> to connect. But we'll blame it on the corona. We'll, we'll blame everything on the corona. I think uh, everybody is. It's fine. <laughs> But we're, we're super excited to have this chance to sit down with you. And, you know, especially with women like you and I, it seems that people always want to know, how did a nice person like you end up in this, you know, whole industry involving guns, right? Because there are people yeah. out there that, that somehow seem to think that, you know, women have not ever owned guns, you know, Annie Oakley, hello, right? Ohio. Uh, there you go. Um, and, and so let's dive into your personal journey into the world of firearms. What is your driving passion? Are you pro 2A rights or are you just really into to hunting? Do you experience any bias when you were at university? All of these things. So let's just launch and, and you kind of take us into how did a nice girl like you end up in a gun-related industry? <laughs> To address your point, it's kind of funny because I've been told by multiple people that they've been beyond shocked when they found out that I'm into what I'm into. As far as shooting sports, hunting, uh, my competitive service rifle is an AR-15, so of course so many people are scared of it. <laughs> no reason whatsoever. But um, I started, I live in, like I grew up in an outdoors family, so my dad trapped when he was younger and hunted. Never did too much target shooting, and I didn't really have too much of an interest. Uh, we did some with BB guns, but it was too hard to pump the pump it, so I wasn't strong enough, and I gave up on that really quickly. But a man named Chuck Malone, who's like my grandfather, came over our house and brought a 22 when I was in eighth grade, and said, "Hey, would would you like to try this?" And I didn't really, I wasn't really given a choice, <laughs> so 
I just followed the directions and it turned out that I had some natural ability. So I started silhouette shooting after that and then joined a junior high power team. So we shoot 200, 300 and 600 yards with an AR-15. Um, I'm actually distinguished in high power service rifle, which is the highest honor recognized by the US government for marksmanship. And I've since taken over um, the Ohio junior program. So I'm in charge of, uh, it's a volunteer position, but for the Ohio Rifle and Pistol Association, I'm really trying to expand it as far as recruiting kids, getting them involved in competitive shooting, training them and giving them a foundation, like a family for them to have. So basically putting teams together to go to nationals at Camp Perry um, in the summer. Is it hard to find people to uh, recruit with the age of the black rifles right now? It can be a lot more difficult. And the hardest part that I've found is usually just getting families committed as far as getting kids that have the time and realize that this is another sport, not just like an after school club or something and having some have to choose between cross country soccer and doing shooting because they don't always see the benefits that can come from it. Uh, shooting and hunting has basically transformed my life as far as teaching me more patience, self-discipline, a countless number of things, but also helping me to really find myself and where I fit in the world. So anybody that doesn't feel like they really fit in, in high school, in college, wherever it is, there's some sort of community there for you. And even though they might be spread out across the United States, having people with the same ideas, ways of looking at things, and the same passions really makes a difference. And I'd really, and trying to introduce more kids that maybe never heard of it because I certainly didn't. I've lived in Ohio my whole life and the national matches are here from the civilian marksmanship program. Hour and a half from my house and I had no idea. So if That's I can so introduce other kids to that and change their lives, it would mean a lot. Absolutely. Um, so when when we met, we were at the SHOT Show, which is a huge industry event, and you know, all the manufacturers come out, but you know, there's uh, celebrities and, and all kinds of people that, that get together there. And um, one of the events that, that we went to that we met at was, um, it was kind of a mix of all those things. But um, being a huge two-way advocate that I am, and I have never actually gone hunting, ever. I've been, I've been on hunts with my brothers and my dad, but I was young then and, and I didn't actually uh, participate in the hunting. Um, and, and so then you're this, you know, very much into, you know, the, the tools end of it. I do wonder if, if it translates in your, uh, the, the mentoring that you do to protect the rights that, that we have in America or if those things kind of stay separate? As of right now, I haven't done too much as far as political advocacy. Um, there's a whole lot that I don't understand about it. And by being in the industry and being around people like you, I'm starting to realize where I can go for information and how important it really is. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think it's something that I'm going to continue learning more about. But at the present time, while it's really important to me, I try to just be that bridge between everyone to introduce people to the shooting sports and hunting sports without necessarily that political tangent. Because that can come a little bit later, but the introduction sometimes, if you have that paired with it, 
some people are really hesitant to even try. Well, Serena, you're, you're doing it anyway. You don't even realize it because every time you ask a young person to go shoot with you, you are part of the Second Amendment community. Um, you know, I was thinking earlier, you were saying, uh, you know, the, you have uh, responsibilities when you, when you own a gun. And I think maybe that's the reason why parents don't want their kids to have guns anymore is because they can't get them to be, be responsible, <laughs> you know? And, and that's a terrible thing, but no, you're part of it. You are, um, you're, you, you just don't know it yet. You, one day you're going to wake up and go, oh, yes, I am, aren't I? <laughs> because every time you introduce somebody, mm-hmm. you're doing it. Absolutely. And we need, uh, you know, bridge builders in that way. And, and I hate that the Second Amendment has become a political topic. It is, yeah. you know, it is for everyone. So therefore, apolitical, but because the political parties keep using it as this football it has become a, a bit of an uncomfortable topic. And so again, easing people in, showing them the awesome benefits, the fun of shooting, all the responsibility that you do learn, um, that is an excellent gateway. So with all of your writing that you do, what do you hope uh, ultimately to accomplish with that skill? I think the best answer might start with how I even got into writing in the first place. So I always loved writing and photography. I always loved books. And it was one of those things where kids play with doctor sets and whatnot. And that's what I did. Never dreamed that it would actually be possible. So my mom, especially my parents, encouraged me to kind of do whatever, find my passions and stick to that. And I kind of just started walking through the doors as they opened. So When I was graduating high school, I um, had the chance to meet an outdoor writer named John Phillips. Actually, just through the phone, I didn't meet him in person (laughs) until 2019 at SHOT Show, but he started mentoring me because I asked him what an outdoor writer was. Didn't really have an idea of doing it, but was just curious, and I found out that uh, I was given a set of instructions and told back to call back in a couple months, and I had a feeling I couldn't disappoint him. So I went on from there and realized that I was able to combine everything with what I loved and find a way to communicate with a broader range of people than I ever could before. So I really enjoyed the part of it of getting to talk to people, especially the younger kids, interviewing junior shooters and getting them to come out of their shell. I have one friend from Michigan who's actually told me that I pretty much changed his life. And I never thought that I could have that much of an impact just by sitting down, taking the time to talk with someone and being a friend. And if I can continue to do that on a larger level and eventually branch into more of like the political thing to teach people, like as he said, I probably am now and don't even realize it, but to teach people that there is so much to offer or people who come from families that don't have that to show or that they don't know where to look for the information, how to look for the information, be able to just communicate those ideas, how to inspire all those throughout while offering value to the industry as a whole and to individual citizens. Well, Serena, you're kind of doing what happened to you. I mean, you said your sort of grandpa kind of gave you a gun and said, let's go. And you took it and, and went with it. And now you've got a writer <laughs> that taught you, you know, here's what you need to do. And you took it and ran with it. And you're doing the same things to these kids. And that's awesome. I really try. It is something, especially with, you mentioned hunting, that, My dad always hunted, but I didn't have too much of an interest in it. I had convinced myself that I couldn't do it. And that's been the number one thing where people will say, hey, 
you know, maybe you experience bias at university because of shooting. I haven't experienced much in that respect, only because I think because I'm a girl, it's considered okay, because I'm a minority in that respect. But the greatest shock factor has really come with, with hunting, where people are so taken aback that this like short little five foot three girl is going out and, and hunting these, these deer. And it is something that has meant so much to me. And I came into it because the kids on the junior team, it was all boys. That's what they did. They were using the firearm training as training for hunting. And I wanted to see what they were doing. So I fell in love with it. And my dad and I have started taking some of the other kids to experience it. But to being able to provide for your family, knowing where your food comes from, and helping, aiding, playing a huge part in conservation means so much. So That's I remember... Nice. In high school, I had a picture of a deer that I had, my first deer that I had shot. And one of the kids saw it in my folder and pulled it out. And of course, the teacher in the front of the room is sitting there like, people are passing notes back and forth. So he tells the kid to bring it up and I'm like, oh no. So now there's this picture of me with this dead deer in front of the classroom. The guy looks at it and he looks at me and I'm just sitting there smiling because I don't know what else to do. And he looks at the picture and he goes, is this photoshopped? I'm like, no, sir. And he's like, okay. And he handed it back to me and he called me NRA spokesperson. And that was that. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. That is a beautiful mount behind you, uh, uh, by the way. Thank you. Um, This was actually done by Wild Art Studio in Garfield Heights, Ohio. Um, My dear friend, um, my best friend, actually, his mom is the proprietor of the taxidermy business there. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes last year in May. And so this beautiful deer was the first, first animal I harvested after finding that out. And I wanted to have it mounted to show myself and to show other people that you can do whatever you put your mind to. Even if something hits you like that, it's not, it will limit you for a little while but you can do whatever you want. So I kind of call it my diabetes year because it's proving to me that I can't let that disease stop me. I love that, that I can keep doing whatever it is. And it's a constant reminder. That's amazing. That, that's really, truly wonderful um, that you have, you, you meet these challenges and you just push through them and then you give yourself those, these reminders. So you, you have these touchstones because we all go through these seasons in our lives. And I think the entire world is going through a rough season in our lives. And if we don't have um, touchstones to, to look back on, to encourage us, uh, I think we, we tend to lose our way very easily. So I think that's gorgeous. Um, so mentoring the next generation. And you are, you're probably mentoring people of all ages. Uh, <laughs> But uh, again, you are a, you're a young person, and so like tends to attract like. It is so important to um, be able to reach the next generation because all of the, the studies and statistics that I'm looking at, it looks like our outdoors, our hunting um, you know, uh, group of people that have always done this, they're aging out right? We're going to hit an age where it's like, that is just too hard to get out there and, you know, hike anymore or to, to backpack anymore and to hunt anymore. And if we aren't passing that torch along to the next generation, 
I, I really shudder to think what's going to happen to conservation. A lot of people don't even understand that hunters are the true conservationists and, and we put our, literally put our money uh, where our mouth is um, and keep the, the dollars for conservation flowing. Absolutely. That's something where I've been trying to take uh, kids from the junior team because they're already well-trained in marksmanship, so they'll be able to take an ethical shot on a game animal and just introduce them. It's harder, at least in my opinion, to introduce someone to hunting that's never shot before, just because even if it's a bow, um, firearm at some point, they need to understand firearm safety first and understand the reasons behind why they're going hunting. The second thing is you never want to push someone to pull the trigger. So some people find that they really enjoy going out hunting, but they can never actually pull the trigger themselves, which isn't a bad thing. And that's why they call it hunting and not killing, because a lot of people think that you go out there and it's just one time and you're done. They don't realize all of the preparation work that goes into it, the appreciation that hunters have for the animals, for the land, how all of that goes into it. And the sport that I compete in, high power service rifle and starting in De Palma, are actually, they're almost considered old man sports. So if you look at the line, there's usually far more older men than there are kids or there are females. So trying to recruit from that group and get them into hunting as well is a huge deal because I also see, I don't want those sports to die. So I'm trying to combine both of those things to get younger people interested. And the biggest thing is exposure. Just taking someone for the first time somebody that they trust. I started taking kids from college, especially foreign exchange students from China, um, to the range to learn, to learn marksmanship. And their reactions were priceless. There were so many things that they told me, even some kids from just Chicago or people that lived in the U.S., of, hey, I had no idea it was like this because they'd been so convinced that anyone who owned a gun was evil, um, that everything was just going to fire on its own. And once they took the time to learn, they're like, this is not how it is at all. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so important. And I, I love the, the aha moments that you are allowing people to have. Um, so, I mean, there are challenges aplenty, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and our ever-changing regulation landscape. Now we've got all this COVID stuff going on, which you would think would cause more people to want to get out in the outdoors and, and do things where maybe they don't have so many like mask requirements and things like that. But right. what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you have faced or looking forward you think that are waiting on the horizon as a challenge for you? As far as introducing uh, new people to shooting and hunting sports? Sure. I think the biggest challenges are exposure and time. So particularly you have air rifle or shotgun sports and those you can generally get people more interested in because of the college scholarship prospects where things like high power service rifle or just hunting and getting out and enjoying the outdoors, a lot of people, at least from what I've seen, um, think that there's usually a group split in high school. And there's usually the smart kids who are going to wherever. And then the kids who may not, not that they're not smart, but they may not care as much about that school environment. So generally those are people who enjoy the outdoors more and whatnot. I was a very anomaly in that I didn't really quite fit in one or the other. And I don't like to put people in one or the other, but if you just kind of looked at it that way. So you have people that are thinking that, 
their only opportunities or that they need to find scholarships and that's their drive. And then some stop competing after that. And a lot of shooters that are college shooters and whatnot don't ever take an interest in hunting or the outdoors. So if you find a way to introduce everyone and kind of make it not a one or the other, but to make it an across the board, like you're saying, the Second Amendment is for everyone. So one of the biggest challenges is just being able to introduce everyone on the same level and showing that it has value beyond a monetary scholarship, that it's something that you can do throughout your entire life with people that you care about, and that it provides you value as you live. It's not just going to end with perhaps a scholarship offer. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, it's an entire lifestyle. And, you know, you, you talked about you met a, a um, health challenge in your life and how much, how fewer health issues we might have as a nation if we were eating clean foods, clean meats, um, right. and having a better understanding of what it takes to harvest and provide in those ways uh, for your own needs. And getting outdoors too. And getting outdoors. Right. I mean, right now during this COVID season, again, we're sitting in the, the um, studio on June 22nd of 2020. And we're sort of here in Arizona, we're sort of facing a second wave of regulations and restrictions related to the, the COVID um, coronavirus situation. And who knows where this whole story is going to go. Um, as time moves forward. But when people listen to these shows, sometimes it's years later and, and they're right. like, what on earth is she even talking about? You know? <laughs> um, but uh, with the, the first, it was toilet paper that was off the shelves. I still can't understand that. That makes no sense. To me. <laughs> um, but uh, we're also in, we have our own gun shop, AZ Firearms. And so we we're starting to deal with some ammo shortages um, a little bit of shortages with the tools themselves, the firearms themselves. But there is definitely in some areas, when you go to the the meat counter, there are meat shortages going on. The processing plants, they're dealing with COVID issues with their, their uh, staff members. So it's slowing things down. Um, and if you don't have the skills to go and harvest your own food, it, I mean, potentially it could get really bad. That's one thing where I think people are realizing throughout this entire crisis that they need to be more self-sufficient and not depend on much as, as much on somebody being there or your food only comes from a store or things like that. I know in our family, we always have a freezer full of venison because that's what we eat for the year. That's, that's our meat. So I harvest, and my dad does too, basically whatever feeds our family for the whole year. So we make sure that we have clean meat, we know exactly where it's coming from, but we also help control the populations. And with the whole COVID situation, I think it's one of the challenge you mentioned challenges is that the shooting sports, hunting sports, anything outdoors, it all requires mentorship. If you don't have somebody to introduce you, to follow you along, to answer your questions, it's like NSSF has their um, plus one movement. If you don't have somebody to answer those questions, it gets really scary and people get scared or they think it's too hard and they stop. And especially if it's somebody outside your own family, which is traditionally what's going to happen with brand new shooters or hunters, trying to navigate the whole virus risk with all so many uncertainties is something that's gonna put people off. 
where they might not be as willing to mentor, or they might have to find a different way of doing it. So providing content, like you asked what I like to do with my writing, if I'm able to help provide a sort of digital mentorship that way and supply information to people that are maybe young or starting out from a perspective that they can understand, or if people can reach out to me, ask questions, it feels like I'm really doing something too, where I'm not limited to just you know, people that I know. If people are able to get connected so that they can figure out what they want to do, it all falls into place. You just have to walk through those doors when they open. Fantastic. Um, so just as we start wrapping up a little bit, I notice also behind you is uh, a poster. And uh, that guy, he's been, he's been pretty important in, in our lives. Um, we followed the whole Dave Ramsey uh mindset and he does a speech at the end of of each of his um his seminars and he he's quoting and he says never surrender never quit and Wait so that who is that in the background is that roosevelt oh no that's teddy roosevelt, that's teddy roosevelt. Yeah. oh my gosh i was yeah, totally confused yeah you were a little confused i was confusing it but teddy roosevelt of he's, course he's important because yes. of conservation right right so tell yeah. us what Teddy Roosevelt means to you? Um, actually, he would be my favorite president, just largely because of the um, national parks. But the reason that poster is up is it's actually a poster that details a short history of the national matches. So I mentioned briefly that I compete in high power service rifle, which is a discipline um, that was largely established through the Bureau for the Promotion of Rifle Practice. So Teddy Roosevelt had basically started this program it's since gone through and is now in charge, um, run by the Civilian Marksmanship Program, but it's basically a small arms firing school where they supply the ammunition, the guns, and for a very small fee, civilians can come and learn how to shoot. They learn um, especially different position work, so it's more applicable to service rifle shooting, but it all came about because Teddy Roosevelt was very disappointed, I believe it was in the Spanish-American War, at the marksmanship skills of the soldiers. So he decided that he needed to find a way to introduce people across the country to the shooting sports and to teach marksmanship. So I have that there because I'm very active in that community and it's just a nice reminder and piece of history of something that I'm also trying to do is to promote marksmanship, whether it's for family defense, whether it's for hunting, whether it's just to teach yourself patience, to teach yourself self-discipline, to, to unite with a family of people that have something in common that so many people want to take away that it makes that bond stronger. No, I, I love that. I think that's wonderful. And I wonder if anybody else has ever confused Teddy Roosevelt with Winston Churchill, like I just did. So. Well, the, the view that you see is it's, it's hard to tell without looking really close. So. Uh, I, I, we'll, we'll blame it on the COVID. I don't know yeah. why, but everything. Is <laughs> so. You can blame it on Monday. There you go. Definitely blame it on Monday. Um, Serena, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for taking this time to uh, speak with us. Um, I really want to check back with you from time to time and, and see how it's going with your career, see how it's going with the outdoor sports in general, and you know, do whatever we can do on Gun Freedom Radio to help spread the message and help expand your sphere of influence because it is just so important 
to our future. Um, so tell folks how they can follow you, how they can find you, how they can uh, you know, learn from what you're doing or connect with you in some way. With such a unique last name, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. So I have a website, www.serenajiknowski.com, that has links to all of my articles. There's a way to contact me on there. And I'm also pretty active on Facebook. I have a public page and Instagram with the tag at Serena Jiknowski. Uh, Twitter, Serena J underscore 2479, because my last name wouldn't fit, but I don't <laughs> actually use Twitter that much. So the best ways to get a hold of me would, would be through my website or through Facebook or Instagram, and I do respond and check those. Well, that is wonderful. And uh, just real quickly for your website, Juknowski is J-U-C-H. Just start it out, right? J-U-C-H-N-O-W-S-K-I. Super simple when you break it down. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you again so much. We will definitely have you back on again. I'm honored for the opportunity and, and thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Serena. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, <clears throat> Cheryl, I really, really understand how you missed that uh, Franklin <laughs> Roosevelt and and the whole uh, time we were talking, I'm sitting there thinking that it's uh, Winston Churchill. Right. And then the minute you you corrected me, I was like, Oh yeah, that is totally not Winston Churchill. It's it's they were both great men. And it makes and sense great, that great she leader. would have yes, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt on her. Right. Uh, is it Roosevelt or Roosevelt? Mm. It's whatever you want to call it. But you know what? <laughs> Could you imagine what it'd be like to have a, a leader like that today? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we might have just been talking to one, honestly. I love that not only is, is Serena doing important work, but she has the gift of being able to encapsulize the importance of her work right. in words. And um, that's so important. And not everyone has that ability to be able to express in, in written form, especially, um, you know, we can get on here and we can kind of, you know, talk around things and eventually get to our point. But when you're writing, you have to be concise right from the beginning. Keep it short and simple. Keep it short and simple, right. which is why I don't write for <clears throat> anything. So. Well, also, you know, you talk about, you know, she has ability, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity because there are schools all over the country that if they would have saw her with a deer, you know, shooting a deer, they would have sent her to the principal's office and say, why do you have that at school? Maybe. And it could have had the police come to their house. Maybe. So, uh, right? you know, opportunity and, and people like her, Serena, she can, you know, she can, she doesn't even know it, but she's, she is advocating for our rights. And so they move, you know, that family moves from Ohio to another family, you know, that maybe in California and teaches and teaches, and maybe we can win this. Because, At least influences. Right. Because you can't you even know? say firearm in some schools. You can't even say, you can't, you can't even make a picture of a, a gun or eat a cookie in the shape of a firearm. Right. Well, there was an article recently, we had it on our desk for, you know, a few days and now it's gotten shuffled off somewhere, but there, all, all the homeschooling that's going on, right. And people are, are schooling by zoom, which is the video program we're actually using right now for those of you who are watching on either YouTube or Gunstreamer or Opslins. Uh, but so you can see into my studio, you can see into people's homes. 
So the student was doing a Zoom class and uh, someone who is on the Zoom took a screenshot of this child's room, basically, right? Because this child was in their room and behind the child on the wall, who was, I think, like 13 years old or something, there was a BB what? gun. Dan. Was it loaded? I, who knows? It was a BB gun. It was hanging on the wall. Oh, my gosh. And he's 13? Yeah. Oh. And so uh, took a screen. <sighs> I know. <laughs> well, the vapors. Where's your pearls? Clutch them. Quick. Uh, so took a screenshot. What an evasion right, of, of your privacy and sent it to the local police. The local police knock on the door of the home. The mom answers. And, you know, she's like, oh, hello, officer. Come on in. What's going on today? Right? Well, she invited him in. So now he's looking around. Turns out everything's fine. She wasn't, you know, arrested. She didn't get a ticket. She, because why? Because there's nothing wrong with owning a BB gun. And having your 13-year-old have it hang on the wall behind him, except for the, the tattletales out there that just can't wait for an opportunity to assert, insert themselves into your personal life. Uh, think about red flag gun laws. Okay, well, I have, to, I have to confess because when I was 12, yeah. 10, I had a 22 rifle and a shotgun on my rack at my house. And I could take that gun anytime I wanted, take the ammo, go out the front door, walk about a half a mile, and shoot without even saying I'm going shooting. So you lived in a I, rural I, area. I, I imagine you had parents that taught you how to use right, the tools. Right. And I imagine the police are probably on their way to my house right now. Because <laughs> I'm confessing to that. And, and that's the thing, you know. But the laws were completely different. <clears throat> when you were young, you actually would go to your dad who would go with your dad who would set up uh, gun shows here in Arizona. Right. Right. And you could actually have your own little table where you could yeah, before 1968, sell the things that you owned. Yeah, before including 1968. Firearms. Yeah. What? Right. Oh, my God. And people would say to me. And he never shot his eye out. Are you sure your dad would be okay with you trading for this? And I go, He's going to be happy I traded for it. So this is a good deal for me. Yeah. But, you know, we were taught the responsibility, and that's the thing. We, we never feared that we were get, going to get in trouble right. because we just knew how to do it. I mean, you, you know, were taught the responsibility. Ten years old. Ten years old. I remember going downtown and going through a hunter safety course. And I already knew all the stuff, but my dad said, nope. We need somebody besides me yes. teaching you yes. what to do. And it was great because, you know what? I'm 65 almost now. <laughs> yes. And I, re I can tell you the smell of the class. I could tell you, I, I, I could recognize the instructors. I tell you what we did. We had a day that we got to bring our guns to the class mm -hmm. and we had a day to shoot. And this was amazing to me. Mm -hmm. So, it was it was a responsibility, well, and it we still learned. is. It right. still is. And and if we would stop, uh, what Teflon coating our children or wrapping right. them in bubble wrap or something, and teaching them about what it takes to um, 
to feed a family, what it takes to go out in nature and interact with nature in a respectful manner and, and to what, even what is conservation, right? Right. What is conservation? Who practices conservation? Who pays for conservation? These are things that, that um, people like Serena Juknowski are um, really walking the talk and doing an incredible job. And I hope that this inspires some other young people to not only maybe get involved, but also to be an influencer in whatever ways that, that you can, because we all do have that sphere of influence where people above us, beside us, um, not below us necessarily, but you know, maybe we, we have uh, a, a position at our job or whatnot, and we can influence those um, all the way around. Yeah, so. I also want to tell Serena that I um, went hunting when I was 12 and I saw a deer. I choose not to shoot it. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. I hunt, I've hunted military. other animals, mm -hmm. but not a deer. Yeah. I, I think it's great that we hunt deer because they need to be hunted. Because I've seen areas where the deer were overwhelming mm -hmm. and starving. So I've sad. seen it myself. So, you know, we do need the conversation. We do need people to go shoot. Yeah. But I choose not to. Right. So well, there's I love, some that, she made that point. She yeah. said that's why it's called hunting and not killing. Right. Right. And I hadn't heard that before, but I love that. And, you know, some people go out on hunts and the, their trophies are the photographs they take. Right. And that's cool or just too. the memories. Or just the memories. Right. That's true. All right. We have got to wrap up. But um, thank you so much to our awesome audience, whether you are watching us in video format or whether you're listening to us on audio only at our gun freedom radio you can go there and click the on demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content all of the episodes that we have posted there you can also click on the guest tab and you can see photographs of uh, Serena and all the guests that we've ever had on uh, with links to the works that they do, the things they write, the, the videos that they have shot, the books they write, all these other things. And you can view us on Opslins. Right? And on Opslins, yeah. that's right. Uh, it's an app on your phone, on your smartphone. It's a free app. Be sure and check that out. And there's lots of other shows on there. But, um, but our, guest, our guest tab on our, our website is a wonderful resource for people who are in the industry in a variety of different ways, whether they are, you know, passionate second amendment, whether they're hunters, whether they're, um, you know, trainers, we have all kinds of, of wonderful people who have taken the time to be on our show and we appreciate all of them. Not the least of which was our wonderful Serena Chuknowski, Chuknowski. I think I've, I've slipped back into the hard you, Chuknowski. <laughs> And um, we just really value and appreciate their time and yours because your time is your most precious and finite resource, right? When you spend it with us, we don't hate that. We don't hate that at all, right? So until next time, Dan. Yes. And everyone, pray for this nation. Yes. Holy camole. Oh, please pray for it. Please. Please. <laughs> spend a couple seconds. Say a prayer for the nation. It's, it's nutty out there. It's just nutty. Um, pray for our leaders, our representatives, our elected officials, whatever, 
whatever word Wait a minute. title you want to give <clears throat> hold them. on you're getting me all upset here they need prayer you're getting me upset what i was in california this week well you were and i felt so controlled there and you're wanting me to pray for the people that threw that control on me yes Dan. everybody needs to go to california even just spend a couple days there then when you leave and go home you feel so free and refreshed it's just amazing so go to california enjoy the beach but the rest of the stuff and then come home and go freedom i cross the arizona state arizona border and i go freedom yeah except that arizona has just all instated of them Yes, you still have to pray for all them. But Arizona has just instated these, these mask requirements. We're going to deal with that. And I, mm, uh, that's, that's another that's show. That's another story. That's another that show. That is another story. Okay. Uh, yes, Dan, pray for all of them, even okay. the ones you don't like. Especially the ones you don't like. Okay. <laughs> I saw you cross your fingers. Be good to each other. Have a great...